If you would please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. We'll look at the first 19 verses. This passage is, of course, printed in your worship bulletin. It's always a good habit to have God's Word open before you, particularly as I address some matters of context. Little theologians, happy to have you here. Uh, whether it is in the Bible or in your worship bulletin, if you look at the very end of our passage, you will see some parts of the human body that are uh, called out. Maybe you can draw uh, pictures of those. You see them there, uh, eyes, feet, hands, heart. You could draw me pictures of parts of the body that are mentioned in the end of our passage. Each of those parts of the body for the Christian are intended for God. In our passage is Proverbs 6, verses 1 through 19. Would you, before we read the passage, join me in prayer? Father, would you take uh, the words of my lips, as fumbling as they may be, would you take them and would you apply them to ears, and in those ears would you straighten up those fumbled words? Those words settle into hearts, and in hearts would those words point to your own resplendent, majestic, authoritative word, Holy Scripture. And then, Father, would you encourage those hearts to go from this place and apply that word. Do all of this despite the fumbling lips of this sermon. We thank you for doing this in your Holy Spirit. Amen. Passage is Proverbs 6, beginning at verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This is the word of our Lord. Well, this will be a really simple illustration, but I know that all of us have heard the expression, do it like this, do it this way. 
growing up, we learn how to tie our shoes by watching someone who is doing it the right way. Do it like this. Uh, I remember in school when I was taught how to write in cursive, I don't write in cursive much now, but it may be that uh, anyone here under the age of 20 won't recall this, but I recall being in class and having cursive written before me and being told to do it like this. Casting a fishing pole, driving a car, do it like this, do it like this, and well, then you'll know. And I wonder if this passage is best understood as uh, three kinds of people for whom you should not do it like them. Don't imitate them. And the word imitate shows up all over in Scripture. Uh, we are called to imitate uh, Christian brothers and sisters who know how to walk better than we do. We are called to imitate Paul and leaders in the church. We are called even to uh, imitate a God. Bruce Walkie, in his commentary on Proverbs, he says that these uh, three pictures here, verses 1 through 19, are three pictures of what not to do. Don't imitate the actions of these three scenes. This is why Walkie calls these three case studies. Case studies. In each of these three case studies, uh, a person is doing something that we shouldn't do. What they are doing is this. They are giving themselves to something other than the gospel. King Solomon gives us these three individuals and he calls them by names that may not be what we would call them. So I want to offer a bit of a translation for the kinds of people for whom we are not to do like them. King Solomon in verses 1 through 5 says, Don't be like the co-signer. I have to describe what's meant by that. But verses 1 through 5 are about someone who co-signs on a loan of some sort. Don't be like the co-signer. You could say it this way. Don't be like a corporate sponsor. Verses 1 through 5. Also, don't be like the sluggard. Verses 6 through 11. We call this person the deadbeat. Don't be like the sluggard. And at the very end, verses 12 through 19 are all about another kind of person. Don't be like the insurrectionist, the troublemaker. Don't be like the cosigner, don't be like the sluggard, and don't be like the insurrectionist. Now, what we're going to do as we go through these three uh, vignettes or scenes of people for whom you should not be like, we're going to go through them and we're going to ask these three questions. What kind of a person is this? What's the problem? And how should I avoid this in my life? What kind of a person is this? What's the problem? And how do I avoid this in my life? Well, here's what this passage is telling us overall. In each of these case studies, God is asking us, will we give ourselves to the gospel or will we give ourselves to something else? Will we give ourselves to the gospel or will we give ourselves to something else? Well, let's look at these uh, three case studies by first asking this question. What kind of a person is this? Next, we'll ask about the problem. But just real quickly, what kind of a person is this? Verses 1 through 5. Verse 1 says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, 
What's happening in these five verses? Who's the central figure? And I think the central figure is best understood as someone who co-signs or sponsors another person. Uh, We might also call them an underwriter or a guarantor or a surety, though we don't use that word surety, uh, do we? The Bible actually allows for the borrowing of money and interest can be charged, charged to the Gentile. Exodus and Leviticus seem to be clear that interest shouldn't be charged to fellow Jews, but borrowing is allowed. But uh, when you borrow from someone, the creditor, the one for whom, from whom you are borrowing, has the right to ask for collateral. But there also could be a co-signer in the picture. You're seeking to borrow money, borrow money from the creditor, but the creditor needs you to have a co-signer. There's something about your reputation is lacking, and so you need to find a co-signer. So the creditor could ask for collateral, but the co-signer could ask for collateral as well. Does this make sense? I think co-signer is a good uh, image. At least a couple of commentators I've read have used this uh, image. Uh, The uh, co-signer would uh, say to the person who wants to borrow, I'll help you to borrow money, but I'm going to need something from you. And usually in biblical history, that something is something that everyone has, but something for which it would be very inconvenient to be without. And so uh, I will help you borrow money, but I'm going to need you to give me your cloak. Or I'm going to need you to give me your bed, your mattress. And I'm going to keep these items until you either repay me or you repay the one from whom you borrowed. This could be a co-signer, but it could also be a corporate sponsor, couldn't it? A company would approach an athlete or an athlete approach a company looking for sponsorship, and the sponsor will say, I will give you money, I will help you, but you're going to wear my name on your chest. And everyone's going to know that when you succeed, you're going to succeed a little bit for yourself and a little bit for me as well. What kind of a person is this in verses 1 through 5? It's the kind of person who's offering corporate sponsorship, but they want something back in return. They want their name to be out there. They want people to know that their name is out there. They're always going to want something in return. What kind of a person is this? The co-signer or the corporate sponsor? In verses 6 through 11, we ask the same question. What kind of a person is this? Most English uh, versions of the Bible will translate it as a sluggard, but uh, this could be uh, someone who is simply slow. That's literally what the word means. Uh, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Verse 9. How long will you lie there, O slow one? So the sluggard could be someone who is idle. It could be a sloth, a slouch. Someone who's sleepy, just a deadbeat. So what kind of a person is this? I think this is actually pretty easy. It's the kind of person who sleeps when they shouldn't. In verse 8, there's a time to prepare food, a time to gather food, but this person is sleeping. They're a sluggard or a deadbeat. That's verses 6 through 11. That's what kind of person that is. What kind of a person is the person in the last vignette, verses 12 through 19? I'm using the word insurrectionist. This is, verse 12 says, a worthless person, a wicked man who goes about with crooked speech.
speech. There's another part of the book of Proverbs that attaches uh, crooked speech with deceitfulness of heart. Proverbs 4.24. And so when the writer says in verse 12 that this is a worthless person who goes about with crooked speech, this is a person who is trying to overturn everything. So we might call this person an insurrectionist. We might call them a demolitions expert. We might call them a troublemaker, a mischief maker, a rabble rouser. I'm actually quoting what writers of commentaries tell us. It's the kind of person who seeks to overturn those things that are peaceful. And that's why in verse 14 and verse 19, the word discord is used. They're sowing discord, discord among brothers. If there is anything good like brotherhood or order or peace, this is the kind of person who is going to bend it and break it. They're an insurrectionist. They're a troublemaker. So those are the kinds of people we're dealing with. The cosigner, the sluggard, the insurrectionist. Let's go through those three vignettes again, but ask a different question. So what's the problem? I believe that in each of these case studies, God's asking us, will we give ourselves to the gospel or will we give ourselves to something else? Each of these vignettes show us someone who is giving themselves to something other than the gospel. Look at, again at verses 1 through 5. Remember, this is the scene about the cosigner, the corporate sponsor. And what has the cosigner done? God is saying to the cosigner, you gave yourself to another person. You took something of value and you gave it to another person. Just think, just think of the name of a company on the chest of someone running around the soccer pitch. But think about your own name on someone and that name being worn in their various places of life where they're walking. On the one hand, this is something good because you're providing advocacy for someone in need. You're helping them get help. But what's the problem? The problem is that you're giving something valuable away. You're offering, you're, you're offering yourself as a sponsor, but you're doing so out of pride. Isn't it uh, interesting if you uh, look at this passage, you see that this is the kind of person that is uh, giving uh, something away. And God is saying to this individual, if you give something away too long or too quickly, whoever you gave it away to is going to misuse it. You've given yourself away. I wonder if there might be pretty ready uh, examples of this. Again, I think this imagery is, is the more challenging of the three. But I wonder if we might have a nice corollary if we just think about sponsorship relationships that actually go bad. Think about the sponsors who at one time sponsored Lance Armstrong or Tiger Woods or the South African runner Oscar Pistorius. In each case, these individuals did something that the sponsor didn't like. And the sponsor yanked their sponsorship as a means of self-protection. 
And what King Solomon is saying is he's saying that when you serve as a co-signer in this way, you're entering into a kind of agreement for which you are liable. And what this does is it puts your family, your name, your reputation at risk. You see the real heart of the problem in verse 3. Look at verse 3. You have come into the hand of your neighbor. What have you done? I don't think this passage is saying that in any and every circumstance you're never to be a co-signer. I don't think that's what the passage is saying. Reading poetry and reading Proverbs is tricky this way, isn't it? We have to step back a little bit and understand what the general principle is behind this fatherly teaching to his son. And he says that this uh, imagery of uh, co-signing is an imagery of someone who is giving something about themselves to another person. Someone who is like them in every way. They're just a person. And you're placing your name on them. The warning is that your neighbor will do you in. I wonder if we can't connect this to our own desire to be liked by others. Isn't celebrity culture so interesting? We pour over the newspapers and magazines and uh, we watch for uh, news about celebrities. We don't know them. We have no relationship with them. They don't even live near us. We're never likely to contact them. And yet there we are following them. I wonder if we want others to follow us. There's some kind of popularity that we seek. And this person who is co-signing quickly, maybe that's it. They just want to get their name out there. And they want to be able to come home and they want to look in their entryway at all of these coat hooks and they want to see a line of cloaks on those coat hooks. All of these people owe me something and they carry my name. It may be that the co-signer is using their mouth sporadically. You uh, see they're snared by the words of your mouth in verse 2. They want to speak in such a way that they elevate themselves, and they want to elevate themselves by placing their name on someone else. I own that person and that person and that person. I'm popular to that person and that person and that person. I think this could be a very powerful imagery for something that we feel every day wanting to receive the favor of others, saying anything that they might think that we are popular, Uh, spinning our stories in such a way that uh, people think the best of us. Maybe what's happening here? He's saying, uh, the the writer is, to the co-signer, you gave yourself to another person. Shame on you. In verses 6 through 11, what's the problem there? This sluggard, this deadbeat, he's given himself to his own passions. I think this is pretty easy to see. I mean, sleeping is not something that is completely bad in Scripture. Slumber isn't completely bad in Scripture. What's the problem? He's giving himself to his sleep and to his slumber. He's giving himself to his passions. Isn't it wonderful uh, resting on a hammock in the sunlight? That just sound fantastic. A little folding of the hands can be a very comfortable thing. And in fact, we'll pay big money to fold our hands lying on a hammock. Well, what's the problem? The problem is that while the sluggard is sleeping, 
he is getting closer and closer to death. He or she will have to wake up at some point because the body needs nourishment. You can't sleep forever, can you? There has to be an interruption in which you get up and you eat. And in order to eat, it's going to require work. How's the food going to going to get there. And if you do nothing but sleep, you will simply die. But there's more. If you do nothing but sleep, those whom you love will die. You're called to feed your family. You're called to provide for others. And if you just lay there, you have completely and totally given yourself up to your passions, and those passions will lead you straight to death. Satisfying our passions is good. But the sluggard gave himself away to his passions. That's the problem. The cosigner gave himself away to another. The sluggard gave himself away to his passions. And in verses 12 through 19, what's the problem there? This insurrectionist, this troublemaker, he's given himself to his own plans. I think it's very important in verses 12 through 19 to understand that that every body part is employed by this individual to get not the plans of someone else, but to get their plans, to realize their will. If there's anything uh, good here, it's not good for me, and I need to turn it upside down. If there is a message between people, if there is an authority authority structure, uh, any of this needs to be turned upside down. For me, human community, this passage seems to be telling us, is meant for peace and order, but the insurrectionist only cares about his own plans. This is one person who's giving everything that he has to turn the world in his favor. His is a heart, in verse 18, that devises wicked plans. But it does devise plans, doesn't it? It is a planning kind of heart. And there is a structure in this world, and he has judged it to be bad. It must be overturned. It must be restructured. That's why I think the insurrectionist is the uh, demolition expert. The world needs to be adjusted. You could look at it this way. The insurrectionist is living in a kingdom but doesn't like that kingdom and seeks to destroy that kingdom and replace it with a better kingdom. And to this end, every part of his person is employed in creating his better plan. He winks, his eyes adjust, his posture points his fingers, slowly but surely he will make the world suit his plans. You see the warning there, right? It turns out there's another planner in verse 15. Calamity will come. He will be broken. Just think about what that means. The consummate planner will have his plans frustrated. The consummate planner will never plan for calamity, but calamity will Come. Why? There's always someone with bigger plans, a more powerful ability, a stronger heart to enact a bigger kingdom. The insurrectionist, King Solomon is saying, is the kind of person who's given himself to his own plans. 
Now, I think these, these three case studies are we're trying to discern what to take away from them. The co-signer has a problem of giving himself to another. The sluggard has a problem of giving himself to his passions. And the insurrectionist has a problem of giving himself to his plans. But how do I avoid any of this? If you're here this morning as a Christian, the advice that I have for you is the advice that King Solomon has for the son. Give yourself each and every day to the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do I avoid any of this? Give yourself to the gospel rather than another, rather than your passions, and rather than your own plans. Verses 1 through 5, this is how this unfolds. Your name, your sponsorship, you think was meant to elevate your own reputation. And if other people like me, if other people need me, then I'm okay. That's what you're prone to think. If I say something or do something, my reputation will be elevated in their eyes. Other people will like me. And if they like me, I'll like myself. You need to be reminded this morning, if you are a Christian, that you will never have the kind of reputation that earns you favor before God. You may very well have, the, with the power of your lips, the ability to elevate your, your reputation in the hearts and minds of other people. But you'll never be able to do that to God. You can't place your name on him and allow him to carry forward your banner. You can't impress him. You can't encourage him and give him security with your name. You will never be able to do that. If you're here as someone who is not a Christian, you need to hear that loud and clear no matter how popular you are with others, you can never pull that same trick with God and become popular with Him. But if you're a Christian, let me say it real simply. You don't have to work to impress Him. He loves you. And He likes you. And He wants to be with you. And you are not only popular to Him, you are cosmically esteemed by Him. He has willingly co-signed for you, and he's good to cover you. If you're not a Christian, be careful what you're doing to raise your reputation. If you are a Christian, your reputation has already been raised to the cosmic highest when God looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of your co-signer, your guarantor, your underwriter, your sponsor. He likes you. Don't seek the favor of others. What about for the sluggard, the deadbeat? What does this say to that person? King Solomon is saying to that person, give yourself, not to your passions, but give yourself to the gospel. Same message as to the co-signer. And we use sleeping as a means of gratifying our passions. This is a misuse of sleep. Sleep was indeed meant for rest. Sleep is good. 
but you're selling yourself for that sleep. If you're not a Christian, you need to know that not only will you never find all of the rest that you want, you'll never satisfy your passions to their fullest. Your passions will always ask you more, 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 more. If you're not a Christian, you need to know that about your passions. There's never enough money. There's never enough comfort for you. There is never enough goods for you. Your passions will never be satisfied, and then your life will end. If you're a Christian, you need to be reminded that Jesus, he set aside all of his passions, suffered in every way imaginable. Why? Why did he do that? That you wouldn't have to. You find your fullness not in chasing after your passions, but in receiving the free gift of his rest. A Christian is someone who has entered into the rest that he has secured. Jesus, he set aside all of his passions, and he is completely and utterly satisfied in God his Father. Why? So that you would be satisfied, even with little sleep, with little money, with little health, with few material possessions. He did everything so that you might have rest. Always. You're never without rest. Even those of you who feel like you're on death's doorstep. Sluggard, deadbeat, give yourself not to your passions, but to the gospel. And then finally, to the insurrectionist, the very end, to the troublemaker, the same very message. Give yourself not to your own plans, but give yourself to the gospel. See, I believe this here is the climax. The sluggard is one who uses all of their planning, all of the, uh, all of the tools at their disposal to elevate a kingdom that is a kingdom of their own making. And if you're not a Christian, you need to hear this morning that you are engaged in this. This is what self-help is. This is what your personal mission or vision is. It's to create your own kingdom. That's what the Bible says that you are doing without Jesus. You're trying to create something that is shaped just for you. This passage tells you that his kingdom will ultimately overrule you. No matter what you do, you are in a constant state of decay and you are on a path in which you will meet with him face to face. You cannot create a kingdom whereby that does not happen. This is your calamity. His kingdom has always been bigger than yours. If you're here as a Christian, it's time to set down your drafting pencil, close your app, your calendar, building your kingdom, it's over. Because you have been brought into the eternal kingdom, the never-changing kingdom. It's time to stop with your planning and to give yourself to God's plan for you in the story of the gospel. These three vignettes are really powerful, aren't they? Because they're addressed to a son, but they have something to say to us today. 
And they're spoken in such a way that they're not uh, narrow and precise. And this is the trick with Proverbs. Sometimes we look at Proverbs as just a a manual for how to live life in a more efficient way. But these stories, these vignettes, they're about the gospel and Proverbs is about the gospel. Over and over again, the king is saying to his son, there is something more than what you think you are after. God is asking us, son, over and over again, will we give ourselves to the gospel or will we give ourselves to something else? That is wisdom. It's leaning on him. His story dictates our story. This morning, I want to ask, are you like this? Are you placing your reputation before the gospel. You want to be a celebrity more than you want to be a follower of Jesus. Are you putting your passions before the gospel? Are these the things that eat up your thought life? How will I get more? How will I satisfy my passions? Are your passions, are they going before the gospel? And then finally this, and I'll conclude in prayer. Is your mission in life, does that have anything to do with God's mission for you and for his church and for the world? Is your mission in life going before the gospel? Will you give yourself to the gospel or will you give yourself to something else? Join me in prayer. Our Father, we ask that you would uh, use these words, uh, not the words of my lips, but the words of your Holy Scripture, as words to chasten us, but with great tenderness. You, in Christ Jesus, love us, and you care for us and guide us with great gentleness. This is your patient, covenantal love. Would you remind us of times in our life where we have traded in the gospel for something else. In Jesus' name, amen.